Bibles this morning, please, to the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, we were there some last week, and we're back there, <clears throat> excuse me again, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We've taken as our church mission statement years ago that we exist to glorify God, to grow more like Jesus, and to go with the gospel. And it's that third part of our mission statement that I want to focus in on this morning. We're to go with the gospel. Now, of course, it's going to include the first two parts, glorifying God and growing more like Jesus, but it's that third part, going with the gospel, I want to talk with you particularly about today. Go with the good news that Jesus saves. This deals with the area of evangelism, sharing about the sin, the death, the burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus died in our place. We can be forgiven and justified and cleansed and changed and heaven-bound as we place our faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work. And in evangelism, our message must include uh, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our need of repentance and faith. We've got to talk about things like sin and death and hell and then the good news that Jesus saves. But you know, evangelism takes on many different forms. The message is the same, but the method of communicating that uh, message uh, can change. It can vary from uh, situation to situation, from setting to setting in many regards. It might be sharing a gospel tract or a pamphlet, uh, something that includes the gospel. You hand that to someone. Uh, it might be talking one-on-one -on -one with a friend or a co-worker or a classmate and, and verbally talking to them about the gospel. Or it might be going on a mission trip where you take a week of your life and you particularly go and you uh, focus on sharing the gospel uh, with people. Uh, it, can, it can take on many different forms of sharing that gospel, but the message is the same. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have an opportunity coming up before us in our friend day, just two Sundays from now. We're inviting you, we're asking you to invite others to come out that day and to hear the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're going to provide a meal, and during that meal we hope that our guests will feel welcome and we'll get to know them better. They'll get to know us better. And we want to express our love uh, to them in a very practical way through hospitality. Uh, but when it comes to this whole idea about evangelism, whether it's giving on a gospel track or preaching a sermon or going on a mission trip or inviting people to friend day, let me ask you a very important question. What is the most important thing we can do when it comes to evangelism? What is the most important thing we can do when it comes to evangelism? Now, we know that we cannot save anybody. We're simply the messenger. Uh, we're sim simply the errand people that we go out with this glorious gospel message and share about what Jesus Christ has done. But when it comes to this whole idea of evangelism, what is the most important thing we can do? Don't answer out loud, but in your own mind, think about it. What's the most important thing I can do when it comes to evangelism? Well, some might say, well, I think the most important thing in evangelism is simply to share the gospel. I've got to evangelize. I've got to share the gospel. And that is important, and that is a key. And others might say, well, no, when it comes to evangelism, the most important thing that I can do is I can love people. I can love the people that we're sharing with. You know what? That is a key. And you better love the people you're sharing with. Uh, but you know what? I'd like to suggest that something else actually comes even before those two things. And you may have already... Uh, beheld the answer in today's message title, and you've already figured it out. But I want to suggest to you that the most important thing we can do 
when it comes to evangelism, is to pray for the people that we're seeking to evangelize. To pray for them. In other words, before sharing the gospel, before sharing the love of Christ with them, expressing love to them, we should pray for them. Now, of course, love and uh, prayer go together, don't they? I mean, love should be the thing that motivates our prayers, but it should not take the place of our prayers. We want to love people and share the gospel with them, but we must, first of all, I think, pray for them. It was the great Bible teacher and evangelist from days come by, R.A. Torrey, who said the most important factor, human factor, in evangelism is prayer. The most important human factor in evangelism is prayer. Now, why is that so important? Why is it so crucial that we pray for people before we evangelize, before we share the gospel? Well, because we're seeking to reach people whom the Bible describes in this way. Now, listen carefully. The Bible says that lost people, people who don't know Jesus Christ, they're blind, they're bound to Satan, they're condemned, they're helpless, they're hopeless, and they're dead in their sin. Now, that's not something I'm making up. That's what the Bible teaches concerning someone who's lost. If you're saved today, before you were saved, you were blind, you were bound to Satan, condemned, helpless, hopeless, and dead in your sin. Jot this reference down, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, that is, it's hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing, we could have added that word too, whose minds the God of this age, not the God of glory, not our God, but Satan, the God of this age, has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. Understand, please, men and women, teenagers, boys and girls, that those who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they're bound, they're blind, they're condemned, they're helpless, they're dead in their sin. And unless Jesus Christ, unless God breaks through, the Holy Spirit breaks through, they will not be saved. Unless the Holy Spirit opens their blinded eyes and helps them to see their need of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will remain lost. Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit will do a work in the hearts and lives of people that we're sharing the gospel with. You know, we could do a hundred friend days in a row. I mean, a hundred in a row. Every Sunday for two years, we could do a friend day. We could give out a million gospel tracts. I could preach until I fall over and die. But if God doesn't do a work in the heart and the life of a man or a woman or a boy or a girl or a teenager that hears the gospel, they will not be saved. And so I tell you today, what we have to do is we have to pray. We've got to pray that God will break through. We pray and then we share the gospel with them. We need the heart of the great preacher Charles Spurgeon. I have his portrait hanging in my study. He's known as the Prince of Preachers. Here's what he said. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. That should be our heart. 
to realize that men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, all people must come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ if they're going to go to heaven to be with the Lord. And so today I want to talk with you about a type of prayer that we don't necessarily talk about a lot. We don't hear a lot about it. I want to talk to you about evangelistic prayer. Evangelistic prayer. Now you're already in 1 Timothy, right? And you're at chapter 2. And I want to begin reading there at verse 1. And we're going to read down through verse 7. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God... And one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is writing and laying out for Timothy here instructions for the church. And in fact, if you keep reading in this book, we know that he talks about what well, we talked about last week, about deacons, about the office of deacons. Then he talks about the office of pastors and, in other words, elders and talks about the qualifications for them. And he talks about how to conduct themselves and so forth in the church. But before he gets to all of that, would you notice before he gets to that, he talks about prayer. He talks about prayer first. And I think that's key. I think that's important. And I want to talk to you about prayer today. And first of all, I want to talk about the responsibility of evangelistic prayer. The responsibility of evangelistic prayer. And notice it says in verse 1 again, I exhort or urge first of all. First of all. And then he mentions different types of prayers. Now we know that prayer has many different elements to it. Many different types of prayers. Uh, it has uh, worship and adoration and, and intercession and, and thanksgiving and confession and repentance and all sorts of prayer. And uh, though it is vital and right and much needed, he's not talking about in this particular passage about praying for ourselves. So we need to pray for ourselves. I hope you pray for yourself. We need to do that. The Scripture's clear. But here he's talking about praying for other people. And the picture here is the church praying for other people. Corporate prayer. Now, of course, this is applicable to our private prayer lives, but the Scripture does focus a lot on corporate prayer. And we try to make sure that we include prayer as a church in our services. Why? Because we need it and God tells us to do it. But he says here, first of all, that we're to pray these different types of prayers. Look back at verse 1. I exhort that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for who? For all men. That's implied all people. So all men and women. I exhort, I urge you to pray for all people. For everybody. And notice there's no conditions laid down here. It's very broad. In fact, it's all encompassing. I want you to pray for everyone. 
So this would include Jew and Gentile, slave and free, black and white, Democrat, Republican, uh, hippies, Hindus, atheists, agnostics, gay people, straight people, transgender, all people. The Bible says we're to pray for all people. There's no conditions laid down. Uh, there's no listing of the people. It just says pray for all. And then he gets very specific under this umbrella of all men. And in verse 2, he narrows down again. He says, for kings and for all who are in authority. And so he talks about under the all men, he says, and I want you to pray for rulers. I want you to pray for government authorities. I want you to pray for those in charge over us. You might be thinking, well, that must have been easy for them back in that day for them to say pray for those leaders who are in authority. But may I remind you that when Paul wrote this, Nero was ruling. And if you don't know who Nero was, Nero was one who set fire to Rome and blamed the Christians. He's one that would gladly take you as a Christian and throw you to the lions. In fact, he loved you so much as a Christian, he'd be glad to take you and stick you on a pole and set you on fire and put you out in his garden to provide light at night. That's Nero. And, and in the midst of that day, under that kind of ruler, he says, I want you to pray first of all for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority. And so it's not that you pray for them if you like the ruler or you voted for the ruler or even that the ruler is a good ruler. None of that matters. That's not what's talking about. Our responsibility, it says, is to pray for them. That's our responsibility, to pray for them. Imagine now, if we took all the time that we spend complaining and debating and degrading and arguing over our president and our vice president and our governors and our senators and, and, and our uh, elected officials from the national level all the way down to the local level, if we took all that time that we extend and extend upon complaining and criticizing and we were to say, you know what, we're going to stop, we're going to pray for them. Can you imagine what would happen if believers were to do that, if they would do what the Scripture says and stop and pray for those instead of complaining, calling out to God, if we truly pray for all those, where would that leave us? Where would that leave us? John Chrysostom, who was known as the, the golden mouth from church history, he said no one could feel hatred toward those for whom he prays. No one could feel hatred toward those for whom he prays. So we're to pray for all people. But if I'm praying for all people and really praying for them, then I'm having a hard time hating them. They might hate me. They might even hate my Lord. But the Bible says very clearly what? I'm to pray for all men and then I'm to pray for rulers. I have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to pray for all people and then to pray for, especially for those who are rulers. Now what is it that we're praying for? What, what exactly are we hoping to say? Um, what do we hope to see as a result of these prayers? What exactly are we praying for them? Well, let's talk about, secondly, the request of evangelistic prayer. What is it they were requesting of the Lord? Well, he doesn't express it here with big, bold words, but I think it's obvious when you read the passage what we're to be praying for as we look at this passage. And the first thing may surprise you. In fact, it might even sound selfish when I tell you what it is. Now, you just read it. I'm not making it up. It's right here in the Scripture, but it actually sounds kind of weird. The first thing we can pray when it comes to all men, and then especially for rulers, is we can pray that we can lead peaceable lives. That we can lead peaceable lives. Now, I want you to process that for a moment. 
Pray for all men, and especially for those who are kings and rulers and authorities over us, that we can lead a peaceable life. Let me show it to you because you may not believe me. Look at verse 2 again. Look at verse 2. For kings and all who are in authority. By the way, think about all the authority over you. Teachers, principals, your boss at work, your supervisor. Pray for all those in authority. That Watch the next part. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Now, if I understand my Bible correctly, we're to be praying for those in authority over us, whatever level that is, that they would do a good job so that I can and you can live a peaceable life, a life of godliness and a, God, and a life of reverence. Now, the scholars tell me that the word quiet there is outwardly focused. Things that would come from the outside to disturb my peace might be wars and fightings and those sorts of things. That's what I'm praying for, that we be quiet. And then the idea of peaceable deals with the inside of me, the inside of you. Uh, there's peace on the inside. And so we're to pray for these folks that we can live a quiet and peaceable life. You might be thinking, oh, preacher, isn't that selfish? No! Listen, good government... It's not just good for believers. It's good for everybody. That's why I cannot understand why people want our government to fail. People say, I hope the president fails. I hope the vice president fails. I hope the governor fails. Are you dumb? If they fail, we all fail. That was kind of tough, wasn't it? That was kind of, that was kind of shocking. That's the way I feel about it, though. Good government's good for all of us. And bad government impacts all of us. And so God says, for listen, I want you to pray for them. Because if they fail, we all fail. In the midst of peace, pray for a quiet and peaceable life of godliness forever. In the midst of peace, we can focus upon spreading the gospel. Now listen, that can go on in persecution. It does go on in persecution. But what a blessing to be able to focus on getting out the truth in the midst of good days. In the midst of... Uh, Harmony and peace and peaceable life. And then the other thing that we're praying for them, and maybe this actually comes before the one we've already talked about, we're to pray that we can live a peaceable life, but we're also to pray, now listen, that they would come to Christ. That they would come to Christ. Now remember, we're talking about not just government, although it does narrow down to that, we're talking about all men, all people, men and women, and those in authority over us. They would come to Christ. We're talking about evangelistic praying. Now look back again at verses 3 and 4. He said in verse 1, pray for all people. Verse 2, pray for kings and all in authority. Verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now watch verse 4. Who desires all men, implied all people, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's interesting when you follow the alls in this passage. If you notice a word appearing over and over, stop and take note of it. Notice verse 1, we're to pray for all, that in verse 4, all would be saved, because in verse 6, Jesus gave himself for all. Let me say that again. In verse 1, pray for all, that in verse 4, all would be saved, because in verse 6, it says Jesus gave himself for all. If you're wondering what to pray for all people, if you're wondering what to pray for kings and those in authority over us, we ought to be praying that they might be saved. It's God's desire that all be saved. 
It's very clear there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Jot this reference down. You can put it in your margin. 2 Peter 3, 9. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Now listen. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You say, what is God's will? What is God's desire for people? That they might know Him. They might be saved. You can confidently pray for the salvation of every person knowing it's God's desire that they might be saved. When you don't know what else to pray for them, pray that they might be saved. That's what Paul did. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire... Now listen. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. It wasn't just, well, I hope they get saved. I really want them to be saved. He said, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is that they might be saved. And so we're to pray evangelistically. We're to pray that men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, our co-workers, our classmates, our neighbors might come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if they don't, they're going to die and go to hell. And we have to understand that. And there's not a balance at the end. There's not some great scale that says they were good people and they were good neighbors and they were this. There's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And any person that does not receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they're going to die and go to a devil's hell, but that's not God's desire for them. God says, I want all men to be saved. I want all people to be saved. And He's left us here to share the message with these lost people. We're to be praying for lost people. Praying that their eyes... You see, the devil has done a good job of blinding their eyes and distracting them and keeping them busy about everything else. And they're just going through life not realizing they're condemned. And we need to pray that God would burst through with a glorious Gospel and show them their need of Christ. They might place their faith in Christ alone. So when it comes to praying, we're to pray. We have a responsibility to pray for all people. Now you say, well, preacher, I don't know all people. I don't either. But I do know a lot of people, and so do you. And there's plenty of people to pray for. And plus, we can pray for people without knowing their names. We can pray for them as nations. We can pray for them as groups, as cultures. As we call out to God, knowing that prayer does make a difference. Well, there's the responsibility of evangelistic prayer. There's the request of evangelistic prayer. Praying that we can live a peaceable life. Praying for people who come to Christ. And then I want to talk to you about the reason for evangelistic prayer. You say, well, wait a minute now. The reason for Haven't you already covered that? I mean, isn't that pretty obvious here? We're praying evangelistically. Well, keep thinking with me. We haven't really covered the reason. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, this deals with the motive behind our prayers. In other words, why do we pray this way? What is it that motivates this type of prayer? We know we want to see people saved. We know that we want to live a peaceable life. The Scripture is clear. But what is it that motivates it? Why do we pray? Well, I think, first of all, we pray this way to please God. I want to show it to you in the Scripture. But to please God. And by the way, can I just ask you, Christian, is that your desire in life? It ought to be. 
You say, what's your goal in life? To please God. What's your goal in your marriage? To please God. What's your goal in parenting your kids? To please God. What's your goal in your job? To please God. Well, that, that just brings it down basic, doesn't it? I, I exist to glorify. I exist to please God. Look at verse 3 again. Verse 1, he says, pray for all people. Verse 2, for kings and authority. Look at verse 3. For this is what? Good and acceptable in the sight of God. I love how it says it. God our Savior. We pray this way to please God. We want to please Him in all that we do. And it's God's desire they be saved. And this goes a step further in seeing Him receive glory. So we pray this way to please God and we pray this way to glorify God. I told you our mission statement, we're going to touch on all of it, right? We're focusing on the third part, but it's glorify God. That's first purposefully. Glorify God. Grow more like Jesus. Go with the gospel. And as we do this, we're doing the first two as well. That's the reason Jesus came. And all this glorifies God. We want others to come to saving faith in Jesus that they might know our great God and that they might worship Him. They might give Him glory. They might know Him. We sang it a few moments ago. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. And we want others to know our God. The great thing about Christianity, it's not just a, you know, this is just our little group, nobody else can be it. No, God wants all to be saved. And we pray this way to glorify God. Look at verses 5 and 6. They're, they're rich. We could preach sermons on, on these two verses alone. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 again in your Bible. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Let me walk through that very quickly with you. There's one God. There's only one God. And so those who are serving other gods are lost. There's only one God. And there's only one mediator. A mediator, you know, is a go-between. One who comes in to help reconcile two parties. And listen, the problem's not with God. The problem's with us. And so we have the mediator, God the Son. It says one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, the God-man. Right there in those words, the man Christ Jesus. Boy, you could preach on that for a while, couldn't you? He's talking about the incarnation. He is God, yet He robed Himself. He took upon Himself flesh. He came and He lived as a man among men, the God-man. And He's the mediator. John 14, 6, No man comes to the Father except through Me. The man Christ Jesus. And then notice what it says. Verse 6, Who gave Himself a ransom for all. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. He willingly laid down His life. He gave Himself a ransom for all. That is paying for our redemption with His own blood. And because of the truth in those two verses, that shows us we must pray because if people do not come between, uh, come to God through the mediator, they're not coming to God. And they're dead and they're lost and they cannot know God apart from His work in their life. And so we pray God open their eyes and help them to see their need of Jesus. We pray evangelistically. Do you see, beloved, why it's so important to pray evangelistically. Now I want to talk to you for just a moment about the opportunity before us. This is not just a time so we can say, boy, we had a great time at Friend Day. Boy, we had a good meal. We had a good fellowship. All those things are good. But our main desire is to reach men and women and boys and girls and teenagers with the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've given you a prayer guide in your pew this morning. And I want you to notice that it's kind of where you can very easily tear it. 
Now, I'm not going to ask you to do this today, so don't tear it. I'm giving you this today and ask you to bring it back next week. Now, I want you to invite widely. Say, so what do you mean by that? I want you to invite anybody and everybody. When you go to Walmart, invite the cashier. Now, if you're mean to her, don't invite her. All right? But, but invite everybody, the gas station, people you know. But I want to ask you, would you seek the Lord's heart? Would you seek His will? And would you pray specifically and say, God, is there someone or two or three people Someone I work with, I go to school with them, they're in my family, they're my neighbors or whatever. Some, and I want you to invite widely, invite as many as you can. But are there one, is there one or two or three that you know they need Jesus Christ? And would you, and again, I'm going to give you this week to do this as God leads you. Would you pray and seek God's will? Would you write their names? Again, you've got all this week to do this. Would you write their names there, or it says, my guest list. At that very top section, you write their names. And you use that as a prayer guide. And you begin to pray for them daily by name. Now, I encourage you to do it today or tomorrow. Don't wait till Saturday. But, but sometime this next week, really seek the Lord. Really think through it and say, who is it in my world that needs Jesus? And I'm going to particularly pray for them by name. If you need more room, you've got the other, other side of the paper. But, but one or two or three. And you're not only going to pray for them as your heart desire, you're going to invite them to come. Now what I want to make available to you is the bottom part. So you're going to write those names and it tears there, hopefully pretty easy for you. You keep the top part for your prayer guide. You can put it in your Bible. Your, put it somewhere you look often. For some of you might need to snap a picture and make it your homepage, okay, on your phone. <laughs> somewhere you look often. Put it on your, your, your dashboard or your car. Put it on your mirror. Put it somewhere you can pray for them a name. The bottom part, it's up to you if you want to use it. Next Sunday, if you would like for us to join you in praying for them, we're going to have a prayer meeting next Sunday night at 5. You're invited to the prayer meeting, by the way. But all of these that come in next Sunday, I'm going to ask you to hand these to me next Sunday. There's a place for you to write those names, the same three you wrote there. And if you want to put your name down, we would love to pray for you specifically as you go invite them and you talk with them. But if you'll turn that in next Sunday, if you'll hand it to me next Sunday, next Sunday night, we're going to join you in praying by name for these that you're praying for. That's totally up to you, but we make it available. And by the way, you're all invited. It's not in your bulletin. It was on the screen this morning, but just so you know, next Sunday night at 5, we're going to have a special prayer meeting, particularly for those that are going to be invited to Friend Day. And so I encourage you to take this tool as a reminder and really seek the Lord and to pray evangelistically. You know, a lot of times our praying in churches is kind of like an organ recital. We pray for a lot of organs, hearts and livers and lungs and things, and that's, that's good. We need to pray for the sick. The problem is we don't spend enough time praying for those who are spiritually sick, those who are lost. In fact, it's been said we spend more time praying to keep people who know Jesus out of heaven than we spend praying for people who don't know Jesus to make it to heaven as they place their faith in Him. Now, I'm not discounting the one and saying the other is better. There's a balance in our praying. Please understand me. Pray for those that are sick. Pray for the afflicted. Pray for those that are struggling. But at the same time, don't neglect those all types of prayer. I think we've gotten so far over here, we've neglected the other side 
And that is praying that all people might be saved. So is it clear that list is yours? You'll bring it back next week. Put the bottom part in my hand. We will pray for it by name. Pray for your friends by name next Sunday night. And join you in praying as you use this opportunity to invite them to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we're grateful for your grace and mercy. Would you really help us, Father, to understand lostness and darkness? To really understand that this is not just a sentiment. It's not just something that we say in passing. To really understand that people who die without Jesus Christ are going to be in hell forever. Please help us to understand that. And then burden our heart to reach people with the gospel. Lord, we can't save everybody. We can't save anybody. But you can. Father, our hearts are broken in knowing that though it's your desire, you don't force. They must place their faith in Christ. But Lord, everybody ought to hear the good news at least once and have an opportunity. So Father, help us to be that messenger. Help us to be the one to share the gospel. And I pray for these men and women who've listened so intently this morning. If you would guide them as they think through their acquaintances and their people they come in contact with. And lay a name or two or three upon their heart. May they begin praying for them by name. And Lord, may they invite them Lord, may they keep praying. Even if they come and they hear the gospel and they don't respond, may they keep praying for these people. And Father, I pray if anybody here today does not know Jesus, I would be remiss without inviting them to faith in Christ. Do a work in our midst even now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you've never received Christ, I would invite you today to turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. Our closing hymn is number 586. We have a story to tell to the nations. And that begins right here at home. The altar is open if you'd like to come and pray today. If you need to be saved today, we'd love to help you with that. But again, the challenge is before you. I pray God will use it in your life. The invitation is open. The altar is open. You come. 586, let's stand and sing. We have a story to tell.